0: Join us as we gather around the hedge, where we dig into technology, business, and culture with the finest minds in computer networking.
1: Well, hello, Tom. How are you this morning? Oh, good morning, Russ. I'm doing great. How about you? Good. Awesome. Um, you still have your two empty desk in the background. I'm still trying to figure out, like, Tom switches between chairs, I think. He like runs between the chairs to do different types of work. Or something. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't understand the office setup, but hey, that's me. Yep. That's just what it is. So today we have um, Chris Wood. Uh, Chris, where are you physically? Uh, New York City. New York City. Yes, I should have known that because I see the map in the background. Yeah, oh, yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. I worked in the city for a few years. I say that a few years, five or six years or 10 years or something like that. I took the New Jersey Transit, Raritan Valley line down to Penn Station, took the electric train over to the other Penn Station and walked basically to the UN building. It's actually the United Engineering Center. But, um, you know, the walking from walking from Penn Station at 32nd over to the, UNI Engineering, the UAC is really not that bad. It's like 20 or 30 short blocks mm-hmm. and gives you a chance to get out and, you know, just see the world and eat breakfast and walk through shops and stuff like that. And so I never took the cab or subway or anything because it was just much more pleasant just to just to walk and be done with it.
0: Yeah, yeah no, I we're in. Through. I'm oh, sorry. I was going to say we're in the Upper East Side yeah. right now, and um, I, okay. I'm in the park almost every single day, wandering oh, around, good. doing running and or whatever. That's yeah.
2: cool. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Chris, the Chris is... what's the what's the graph uh, above the map behind you? There?
0: <laughs> A lot of people ask this. Uh, th- this one, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, people. Listening can't see what I'm pointing to, but it's um it's actually uh, a DNA uh, sequencing of my two dogs. Oh. The the, the hmm. blue is the boy, and the and the pink is the girl. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, their brother and sister. Are are, are are yeah part of the family. And oh, So yeah. I pay homage to them in every single meeting.
1: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's really cool. That's awesome. Okay, so today we're talking about ODOH to start with. Um, that's where we're going to start out. So I think maybe we should start with DOH and like what problem it was trying to solve and then why we go from DOH to ODOH. And then you have a follow-on from there that you'd like to talk about that's beyond even those two. So DOH is basically, we want to secure DNS in the way that the last mile provider can't see what I'm querying. I mean, the, the, the DNS provider is always going to be able to see what you're querying. I mean, that's just a fact. They have to decrypt it. They have to be able to process it. Right. So let's start from there and, and see where we go.
0: Yeah. So, um, I mean, you kind of just summarized it quite nicely. DOH or DNS over HTTPS is this protocol to basically send DNS queries over HTTPS between the client stub resolver and the recursive resolver. And it was developed and, and deployed primarily to you know uh, address this problem of the, the, the adversaries on the last hop Seeing the the plain text queries um, that you, that you were sending, um, you could infer, you know, individuals' browsing history from that information and misuse it for all, all sorts of um, ways that um, we, people, we we people didn't particularly really, care for.
1: Yeah, people don't really understand how much information is in DNS queries. Just just frequency, what you're querying for. I know that you can tell from a root zone if you know what you're doing. You can kind of tell project out company mergers, purchases you can you there's all sorts of stuff that people don't even imagine that you can see but but you can see it i mean it's out there and so yeah dns is an information rich source
0: yes 100 percent. and so uh doe the rfc for doe it's a very simple document it just says here's how you here's how you basically send dns queries over HTTPS. um uh, and it was it was pretty controversial, I think, when it first um, came into existence, primarily because um, the actual deployments of Doe um, were doing two things. Uh, the first of which was actually encrypting the queries, which uh, on its own is perhaps not that problematic. Um, but the second of which was that um, the, the DNS queries were being sent to a different recursive resolver other than the one that the network provided, Um uh, primarily because you know the network does not offer, or at the time did not offer, a, a Doe resolver endpoint, um, but also because it was unclear like what the privacy policy was of the network provided recursive resolver. So Firefox, in particular, they have this like trusted recur- recursive resolver program, wherein a recursive resolver that's deemed tr- trusted will be in this list of resolvers that Firefox might use to send do queries to. And to get in this list, you have to do you know certain things. You have to abide by certain rules, like. Don't log for a certain amount of time, you know don't misuse the data, don't sell the data, stuff like that.
1: yeah. Well, there was also that that you move the recursive the, the DNS query out of in many cases just implementation wise. It was moved out of the operating system into the web browser, mm-hmm. which freaked a lot of people out. And then yeah. now that my DNS queries are encrypted, me as the local network operator, I can't see what's going on any more than the last mile provider can, and so now I have people working for me that i you know I don't know what they're doing like i can't I can't do d n s filtering and blocking any longer, so they can be doing whatever the heck they want to on the internet and i I just can't even see it so I think there's a lot of reasons, yeah, but continue I'm sorry that it just oh, there were a okay. lot of reasons
0: that's helpful context um and so this this natural deployment of doe, you know led to a situation wherein most DNS queries from doe compliant clients, firefox and, and, and similar clients, were being sent to you know very few places on the internet. So you have like this sort of centralization of like DNS queries going to like one individual place. So it's it, 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 it was it was not really clear whether or not you were sort of solving you know the intended problem that you set out to solve that is like preventing the mass collection and um, you know collection and sort of linkability of the the dns queries and um, individual client identities like the client ip address um, that were sending these particular queries you um, we were just sort of like shifting the problem around whereas previously you know it, all these dns queries would be sent to individual network provider recursive resolvers now they're being sent to or now they're being sent to like like big public cloud recursive resolvers and uh, the 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 T R R the Trusted Recursive Resolver Program was you know was established so that you know uh, the 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 limits of what could be done with that position of power um, were sort of like controlled by a matter of policy, but there was no real technical mechanism that prevented misuse of the data, like prevented you know effectively collection of browsing history of individual clients. And that 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 limitation is sort of what led to you know oblivious DNS and oblivious Doe or ODO. and. So, so Odo at, at at a very, very high level, it's you can think of it as basically, you know, inserting a proxy in between the client and the recursive resolver, such that the recursive resolver that receives a query um, doesn't know specifically which client that sent it, but it does learn the query. And similarly, the, the, the proxy doesn't know which query is being sent and um, which answer is being provided, but does know the client that's generating it and the recursive resolver that it's being sent to. Um, so you have this sort of separation of concerns and then you've sort of split up information across two different parties now in, in the network, one of which is a proxy, another which is a, what we call a target in the ODO uh, spec. And um, this was helpful now because uh, beyond sort of having, you know, sort of policy mechanisms in place to prevent misuse of data, um, now we have like a, you know, an actual technical mechanism um, that... Ensures that the information that the target sees is is in no way intrinsically bound to an individual client by virtue of it being uh, handled elsewhere by uh, handled elsewhere in the system, specifically by the by, by the proxy. And that put us in a better position, um, uh, you know, as a as a community. I think now with ODO, you have the opportunity to redistribute your queries across, like you know, potentially more recursive resolvers, like you because you don't necessarily need to. To trust the the target recursive resolver, um, you know, with your sensitive data because they don't really they don't really have you know what was in, intrinsically sensitive anymore. All they have is like the domain name and the answer that they're you know pr- returning to the client. Um, they don't have, uh, importantly, the client identifier, so they don't have effectively the browsing history anymore. Um, so, Odo sort of allows you to like redistribute DNS in a way that. Um, or, or decentralized DNS in a way that it was um, sort of initially envisioned. And it still also supports, you know, a, a, a ton of, uh, you know, relevant use cases that people want today. So, for example, filtering in the DNS is a pretty common use case that comes up. So, like, you know, network provider recursive resolvers or like an enterprise network recursive resolver, for example, might filter domain names that are, you know, deemed associated with malware or or some other like bad content or, you know, what have you and but and there's no reason that you know these these recursive resolvers that are doing filtering need to know the specific client identity to do the filtering all they need to know is you know should i give an answer to the specific query for the specific domain name so you can still support you know uh, much of the dns based security policies that you would want like filtering and so on um, without compromising on privacy of the end user that's actually sending the queries um so yeah. it, it
1: Can you describe a little bit about how it works technically? Like what does a query look like now? Because I mean, listeners are like, okay, this is great. But like, how does this work? How's it go?
0: (laughs) So um, I will, I'll assume assume sort of knowledge of, down
1: to bit level, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: I'll assume sort of basic knowledge of like public key cryptography and public key encryption and stuff like that. Um, Of course. Yeah. Great. Uh, (laughs) um, So the basic arrangement is um, a client is configured with a proxy that it trusts, and it wants to send a DNS query to a target recursive resolver. As part of this configuration, the client also receives a public key of that target recursive resolver that it can use to encrypt things under. So in, in particular, it's going to use this public key to encrypt DNS queries. Now, whenever the client has a DNS query to send, it effectively like you know puts it in wire format does some some additional like framing that Odo adds, and then effectively just publicly encrypts that thing and sends it to the proxy that it trusts, and the proxy simply just relays that or forwards that onward to the target um, over HTTP in both directions. So the the client is effectively posting um, to the to the proxy to to forward a message, and similarly the the proxy is posting to the target to to you know send a message. The target upon receipt having the, the private key associated with the public key, it, it can decrypt the DNS query and then answer it and do whatever it wants with it, um, apply filtering rules or you know look up the answer in some, in some database or send it upstream to some authoritative resolver, whatever is necessary. And then once it gets an answer, um, it uses uh, effectively a symmetric key that only it and the client have um, by virtue of the way the cryptography sort of works um, and then just... Uh, Symmetric key encrypts this response and sends it back as an answer to the proxy's HTTP request, and the proxy sends that back as an answer to the client's HTTP request.
1: So, so is it using something like a non-system like TLS does, so that you use the private the the private public key pair, the public key cryptography to set up the private key? Essentially, is that kind of where things are in the way this is set up, or is it like some other way that this private key is being? um manage
0: um the, the, the private key of the target
1: oh so is it so or is it always public private key cryptography it's not yeah it's always public. okay so that's cool that's that's what I'm t- um, sorry, sorry. it's
0: in. it's um so it's public key encryption from the client to the target and right. then it's symmetric key encryption from the target back Okay to the-
1: and how is that symmetric key being it's being pushed in the public private key encrypted session right
0: so uh there's a bit of there's a technical answer, and th- but I'll give you a, a sort of high level answer that okay. effectively is the same. Um, and the high level answer is the client, alongside its DNS message, mm-hmm. um, that it encrypts to the target. It just includes a symmetric key. Okay, and then. The target, after decrypting the DNS message, gets a symmetric key and then encrypts the response back. Yeah, That's right. not actually how it works. It's probably
1: a nonce and then it does some randomness or this, that, and the other so that both ends can see the, the, the private key, basically.
0: I mean, you, the, the, the actual mechanism, um, it, it's kind of similar to Diffie-Hellman. So effectively, the client and target are doing like a Diffie-Hellman key exchange. And then from uh-huh. that, they derive the symmetric key. So it's not actually like sent on the wire and accepted, yeah, right. but it's yeah. derived from yeah, something. Exactly.
2: Um, yeah. So what about so um so now we have a proxy in the middle and then a, a trusted resolver and there and you mentioned a trusted resolver program a, pol, a policy mechanism is there a policy mechanism that also governs the use of these proxies?
0: I would imagine so. I mean it's all uh, it's, it's a client specific decision to, to determine like how they want to you know use odo and deploy it and, and which proxies they're willing to trust. Um and importantly okay. they have to trust that these proxies are not colluding with the target. Because otherwise, right. like you've not right. really improved the situation. I, I should have, uh, perhaps, I was just being a bit too ambitious in describing it earlier. Um, there is still some policy stuff in place here, but the the policy now is that you're trusting two parties, two independent parties, in the internet to not collude, as opposed to one party that has access to all your data to potentially not misuse that data. So it's a, I feel like it's a stronger position to 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 base your the the sort of privacy posture of your clients on this non-collusion assumption, as opposed to just, um, right. you know, a pinky promise. I won't look at the data.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do, do you envision, or is it envisioned that, um, like, like, I don't know large enterprises or people who would be interested in, in, in managing their own resolvers and their own proxies. Uh, would it be? Is it envisioned that you, as the as the customer of the large the large operator, that you would maintain your own proxies and then you would let someone else be the target resolver? I know that's different different use case than like the home networking use case. But is that is there any any accommodation for that in in the protocol, or is it just however you want to implement it? Here's here's the mechanics of how to do it and
0: yeah it's the latter the protocol tries to be pretty you know deployment agnostic and it it allows it it, we we try to to write it in such a way that it would admit any sort of those you know deployment scenarios that made sense so in the in the deployment today as part of uh, iCloud private relay Apple clients are configured with a Apple proxy that talks to the 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 Odo targets but that's just one particular deployment there are others Mm -hmm. so for example Odo um, proxy support has landed in um, the DNS Crypt proxy project, which is a, a, a an open source project that maintains a bunch of like you know in, in privacy and security related DNS improvements. One of which is Odo, another which is DNSCrypt, and uh, you can you, know, you could deploy that in like a the proxy from that project in like a VM on
1: AWS or you know wherever. Um, yeah, it, it, I was gonna say I would imagine there'll be commercial projects or products that eventually come out of this I'm sure there are companies that are interested in in selling this as a service or as a product either one that you know and and then there'll be open source projects right there's always open source projects which is which is actually a good thing
0: yeah the optimist in me likes to think that you we' know, eventually get to a place where you know use of proxies to interact with odo compliant targets will be sort of you know free to use to, for anyone you know not just restricted to specific devices but um, there's, a, there's a question of like how you deal with uh, abuse of you know, potentially malicious clients. Um, how do you trust those clients to, you know, uh, effectively abide by the terms of service, whatever those terms of service happens yeah. to be. And for right now, it's just simply easier to, uh, you know, rule out the potential malicious clients by not making these proxies sort of open to anyone. But I would love to see us sort of move to a place where, you know, these, these proxies can be open and we have, you know standard techniques and mechanisms for dealing with abuse. But that's a, you know, that's, there's, there is some work in the ITF and in, in related, you know, in, in related spheres trying to yeah. tackle the anti-abuse problem. And it's, it's a bit further down the road.
1: So, so uh, another, another area where I think people might criticize or worry, I wouldn't necessarily say criticize, but worry about this is in the area of DNS complexity and how this is making it harder to understand. like. Today, I can do a dig, a dig trace, and I kind of see everything. I kind of can see, oh, well, yeah, but my query ended up with an X domain over here. And I know I've got a negative cache going on here, and that, that's going to be messed up. I don't see how I could see all of this with, with ODO or even with DO, right? It's hard to see what this does to my ability to understand what's going on in DNS. So any thoughts in that area?
0: I mean, I tend to think of it as just sort of a a, a different transport protocol for, okay. for DNS in a way. So, you know, in in my, you know, granted, I'm not a DNS expert, so I should have like started with that up front. Um, <laughs> in my in my
1: N- None model, of us are, by the way.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe that's because it's so complex. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but my mental model, you know, this, this is no different, or this is, there's little difference between ODO and like running DNS over TCP over TLS or Quick or, or or over HTTPS. Certainly, there's like you know different preconditions that need to be satisfied. So ODO has more preconditions. Like you need you need to do this public key stuff, discovery stuff. You need to have a proxy configured. But assuming you've done all that, it's just you know it's just a transport layer for sending your DNS query. That said, ODO I think is. Uh, like slightly different in that, um, the, you know, establishing these preconditions, like doing this public key discovery, set, setting up a proxy, um, does make sort of interacting with it a bit more difficult. Like, what would be the equivalent? Like, if you wanted to do a dig query, for example, and and, and do it quote over ODO, you would have to you know provide more information. You couldn't just like dig, and then the, and the query name. You would potentially have to provide like you know maybe this is the target I want to speak to, maybe this is the proxy I want to use. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I, I think it you know remains to be seen how um, the tooling around you know uh, DNS as a as a you know a network administrator or or application developer or whatever um, will be updated to accommodate Odoo if it will mm-hmm. at all. Um,
1: yeah, I mean somebody needs to update Dig especially to say, all right in Dig today you can say use this root server, use this recursive server. You would actually need to be able to say use this proxy. And somehow say not only use this proxy, but tell me what that where that proxy sent the query. Right that that feels like kind of that would kind of like give you the information you needed as an admin to look at it and say yeah I kind of understand what's going on now. I mean the queries yeah. don't change, right?
0: Yeah, I, I mean. <laughs> That seems like sort of an area that's been, um, uh, underexplored without a doubt, uh, at least for Odo. So, yeah. you know, I, I welcome, you know, feedback from, you know, yeah. people who are struggling and using Odo, uh, yeah. or, you know, using it and trying to you know, debug certain issues and realizing that they don't have visibility that they used to. Yeah, Um, yeah. because like we don't want, you know, uh, uh, sort of lack of tooling or, you know, um, uh, perceived complexity be, to be the reason that, like a you know a a protocol and a system that has like real you know privacy benefits to end users to to not get deployed or, or sort of recognized and used more widely. Um, those seem like you know challenges we can we can address as as a community.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, so, we did, somebody just needs to get in touch with the people who the people who who build Dig need to realize you know this is out there and needs to be that's all. yeah I yeah, mean, yeah it's very simple. Sorry, right. go ahead, Tom. I didn't mean to jump in. That's there.
2: okay. I so. Just to kind of explore the alternate solution. So this is a this is a solution to a problem, which is we're sort of unintentionally uh, sec, uh, centralizing all of our DNS um, uh, data, which was kind of not the point. <laughs> uh, and so, but but the alternate solution in my mind would not be to make the mechanism more complicated. It would be for people to run their own trusted resolvers. So so why why would the community not do that? Why wouldn't you just run your own trusted resolver? Configure your own. Configure uh, Doe to do what it's supposed to do to your resolver, and 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 move on, and not stick something in the middle. Is there? I'm assuming there is some sort of analysis of of that as a potential solution.
0: Um, it's a good question. I don't. I'm not not aware of any. You know, um, like publicly written analysis of that particular solution, or any analysis that's been done uh, for that matter. I will say that you know the idea of clients being their own like sort of stub recursive resolver has been talked about before because that. You know, if you are if you are your own, you know, recursive resolver, you're definitionally trusted. But now you're in a position where, like you as a client, are you're like interacting with the authoritative servers and potentially revealing your IP address and your identity um, as you do well, it particularly
2: I'm not saying I'm not saying that I'm saying run the recur- re- re- recursive resolver on your and I'm not talking about c- people in home networks I'm talking about large enterprises you're running your own recursive resolvers anyway and you're running your own authoritative resolvers so why not just use your don't I'm not saying make the client talk to the root servers I'm not saying that I'm saying client talk to their own their own dns servers their own authoritative servers and use the and so the same, use their yeah. own infrastructure yeah
0: um i yeah that certainly is a, is a viable approach i i don't think we've like seen deployment of something like that but there's there's, right. there's no reason why like enterprise network could not run its own you know do recursive resolver and then just have clients like connect directly to that as opposed to you know potentially send information I elsewhere think people are um, still
1: scared of dns and running their own dns server Hmm. I mean, I, I mean, it's a bit of it. that,
0: but um, uh, you also have to you have to like manage, you know, the clients that like connect to your network. So you have to like configure them to, right. to use right. your particular Do Recursive Resolver. Because absent that sort of management and absent that sort of configuration, the the clients sort of you know stuck with a pretty hard question that is, how do I distinguish between a, a quote good network and a bad network with in, in the absence of like any other information? And the answer is like you can't. Like you have to if you're like. You know, a user agent or a client that's like concerned about um, you know users' privacy, then you have to sort of assume the worst, um, and that's why like DNS queries were just like like sent away from the networks that like. That, that, that we didn't have a good answer to that question for um but some ISPs like in some in some networks are spinning up their own DOE resolvers like Comcast I think has like a DOE resolver uh, I think like some Canadian networks have DOE resolvers as well um so it's it's you know it's becoming more common and you know in in if you attach to a network that has like a doe resolver presumably the client would use it you know but that that is not that also doesn't mean you can't like you know insert a layer of a proxy in between the client and that network provide a recursive resolver. If you were still concerned about that, that recursive resolver, you know, having access to the information it did. um, um, A lot of these things are, you know, they're not like mutually exclusive. You can sort of compose them in in natural ways. Uh,
2: Yeah. And you could, and you could take the approach that, okay, now Comcast has a, um, has their own trusted recursive resolver. At least now the, that's the span of like, there's not one company controlling everything in the world. It's just Comcast customers. And now I can, I can mitigate that risk by running my own proxies, for example, and having, having Odo provide that would, would give you the um, means to do your own mitigation of whatever risk you perceive. I think.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. At the end of the day, it's like, it's just, it's important that like the, you know, the, the, the system is configured in a way that aligns with the, the end users like interests, I think. Um, and when those interests are also aligned with like the interests of the network and what they want to achieve that's when we like but that's the sort of the best outcome and the best sort of system um so like a, you know a network that was running its own do server willing to accept queries from proxies and like you know potentially doing filtering on top of that um that's that sounds like you know the ideal sort of arrangement here um at least to me um
2: yeah 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 it, and do you see? Uh, it seems to me, with a with a, an element in the middle, um, you could also start to do some inspection, some enforcement at the proxy layer. I mean, that seems pretty natural for an arrangement like this. Um, well, do you, oh, go on, sorry. Uh, do, do you foresee it being used as the as that as an inspection point or as a um, sort of a man in the middle sort of thing?
0: Depends on what you mean by inspection. Because if you recall, the the, the queries themselves. Are publicly encrypted end to end between the client and the target. So the the only the, the extent of the inspection that the proxy can do is it can terminate TLS, and that it must necessarily terminate TLS to receive the HTTP request content. Um, and it can look at headers associated with that request. It can look at the the, the encrypted body, but it can't do anything else with it. Um, I could see like proxies, you know, enforcing like. At, you know access control or requiring potentially some sort of lightweight authentication to use the system so as an example mm-hmm. there's this um there's this uh technology being developed um uh, in in the ietf and being ratified in the ietf called privacy pass um and i don't want to go on too much of a detour here but the high level summary is that privacy pass is like a very very lightweight uh quote privacy preserving authentication mechanism so you can think of it like a you know, kind of like an anonymous credential, if you've heard of, of that term. But uh, you know, ignoring all of the technical details, the the, the 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 potential application of Privacy Pass here is: you know, if you're a client that wants to send a query, you must also you know, present a Privacy Pass token to the proxy to allow that query to go through. And. I, I could I could definitely see you know proxies who are concerned about abuse um, you know requiring something like that in the future if they were to be if they were to operate in sort of an open way, but uh, but you know um, we're we're not quite there yet.
1: Interesting. Okay, so we talked a little bit about, about Odo, and you said there was a follow-on. So describe this follow-on, like what's going on beyond Odo?
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, Odo, um, it again just to. to to really drill at home, it's just sending encrypted DNS queries over HTTPS, uh, and then um, effectively proxying these encrypted uh, queries. It occurred to several people in in the IETF that this is a a specific instance of a more general pattern. That is like, how do you public key encrypt messages, like um, application layer messages, and send them through a proxy uh, to a target? and the the, the generalization um, that the ITF like sort of wound up on landing on um, uh, no surprise is HTTP. So how do you like proxy encrypted HTTP requests and responses um, between a client and 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 the target? Um, and that you know eventually uh, uh, turned into what we now call oblivious HTTP as the protocol being developed in the oblivious http application intermediation working group or OHi, <laughs> which is a kind of cute acronym <laughs> um, nice
1: so, so acronyms of acronyms of acronyms like. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um uh,
0: but we still call the protocol http and it's you know it's it, exactly the same sort of arrangement as odo except that rather than sending dns messages in you would send http messages in and then you get http responses out um Everything else is basically the same. Same sort of like proxy and target configuration. Again, the the spec calls them something differently, but I won't use those terms because it would just confuse things here. And uh, everything else is basically the same. And um, this is you know this is a cool like generalization because now you can imagine like using HTTP um, for you know sending you know HTTP requests that don't require any notion of client identity. Like maybe you need you maybe you want to interact with an API that's you know an HTTP based API. Um, and you don't need any form of like client, a strong client authentication. Uh, and similarly, the service doesn't need to know like, anything about the client identity. Um, OAUTHB can just like plug right in. Canonical example that comes to mind is like imagine you have like a weather service API, and you want to query that API for like weather for a particular zip code or or latitude and longitude or whatever. That server doesn't need to know where you are in the world, just needs to know like what the latitude and longitude that you're querying for is. And you can imagine exposing that behind OHTP. Um, and uh, you know, we're starting to see deployments of OHTP in, in, in the wild, even though this is not yet an RFC. So, for example, there's this there's this app called uh, Flow. It's a women's health tracking app um for uh, period cycles and stuff like that. They have this feature called anonymous mode, wherein you know you can effectively configure you know, your your instance of the app and in this mode and use it in such a way that, you know, the server doesn't learn any sort of unique client identifiers associated with you. So like your email address, your name, that sort of thing. Um, and it uses OHTP for basically all the interactions between the client and the API. So the, the client IP address that is potentially sensitive to that particular user is also not associated with that individual's account. And... Um, I imagine, you know, we'll we'll likely see more instances of, you know, APIs offering an OHDP layer of, um, you know, uh, interaction or or exposing their APIs behind uh, OHTP for clients that do care about, um, you know, privacy in this way. Um, And I'm pretty excited to see. Yeah,
1: so there's a couple of questions there. The first is... What's the the problem you're going to face here, I think, in that type of situation, is what's the commercial reason? Like, if you're providing anonymous service, the internet is built on data collection, right? And the commercial, I mean, it's what Zuboff calls surveillance capitalism. And so right. there's this this whole question of, other than just because I feel like it and I'm a good person, why would I offer services that are anonymizable like this, right? Like, okay, what do I get for, for running this server and paying for the IP address and blah, da, 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 da. So that's that's the first question. Now, that's not a technical question, of course, so we may not be able to answer that here. It's just an interesting question that immediately occurs. So any thoughts on that before I hit the second, the second interesting question? Question. It is
0: a fantastic question. Um, and it is a uh, specific instance of the more general question, like why would anyone choose to run these sort of like privacy enhancing systems uh, right. on the internet today? So like why would you choose to run a proxy when you're literally like getting nothing out of it? Like you can't mm-hmm. do anything with the data. all you're doing is like sending bits between A and B. Uh, why would you choose to offer a service when you you can't you can't like make it unique to any individual client and, and try to monetize it in that particular way? Um, I do not have great qu- answers to these questions.
2: Um, well, why, so, but why, why couldn't you make money from it? Having selling a service that it is anonymizing. I would imagine many app developers would pay for that would pay for something that anonymizes their users' data. I mean, uh, this particular app you mentioned, people obviously care about it there. An app developer could say, I'm going to promise my users that their stuff is anonymous. And to do- deliver that promise, I'm going to purchase this anonymizing service. That absolutely yeah. is monetizable. For sure. Yeah, that, um, yeah it and is, By yeah.
0: Um, it, I, by, um, what I meant to say was that like, clients themselves um, – it, it, like cannot be the source of like monetization in this right. particular point. Cause oh, like, sure. if you are, right. if you're like, if I'm like mm-hmm. sending you my credit card to like send you a DNS query over Odo kind of defeats the purpose of like, <laughs> you know, stripping out the IP address, yeah. for example, exactly. but it's totally plausible for like someone else to like, you know, to, to foot the bill basically and, and provide access to this type of anonymous service on behalf of its users. Um, right. right. And, uh, um, you know, maybe that's like the, 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 the way these things will get deployed mm-hmm. and maintained going forward, but maybe there's other interesting like you know you know revenue models or business models that we haven't yet explored. Um, yeah, it could be clearly not a product person either. So like I like yeah. I, no, I, I, yeah. I, I don't think about these things, but you know there there might be other answers.
1: So my second question is really more technical, I guess, is that it's come to light recently, at least that. The FBI, for instance, and I'm sure the CIA and other organizations in the world with those kind of three-letter acronyms and blah, 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 I'm sure it's not just restricted to the U.S., have the ability to essentially break TOR. And so I guess my question is, like, how similar is s to TOR? Would it be susceptible to those same kinds of backtrace mechanisms? Now I understand that a lot of the times they break tours because people make mistakes, right? They embed things where they shouldn't be embedded in clients. It's not it's not a problem with Tor per se. It's not like you can actually break Tor. It's more like, okay, you did this and that proves that you're so and so. Therefore, now I can make the connection chain to find out where your Tor exit node is and blah blah blah. So I, that's kind of my understanding of how they're doing it. I'm not a Tor expert. I'm just kind of reading the security articles and and trying to piece together in my head how that must work. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how does that relate, or is that related at all to O-H-T-T-P-S? And like, are there, I don't know.
0: Well, I think two immediate thoughts come to mind. The first of which is that O-H-T-P and O-D-O are not meant to be sort of general purpose, like proxying technologies. They are like... Um, what I refer to as an application-specific proxy protocol for, for application-specific purpose. So maybe that's like, maybe your application is DNS. If yeah. your application is like interacting with an API that has like well-defined inputs and outputs and stuff like that. It's not like, you know, browsing the web. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the, in, in fact, like the OHTTP spec is, it, the name of it did kind of cause some concern because it's not, it doesn't actually support the full version of HTTP. It's kind of like a a watered down or simplified subset of it that's necessary, um, or To rather support these
1: API type things, yeah,
0: yeah, to support sort of transactional interactions between clients and servers. So get you know get a query response that sort of thing. So there's much less sort of you know uh, freedom for injecting content for the purposes of like you know causing the client to like you know. Uh, yeah, reveal their 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 identity or, or break privacy in some other way. The I think the the second thought that comes to mind is that traffic analysis is definitely you know a thing that OHTP like deployments have to consider. Um, yeah. The this the the draft spec does go into you know some discussion of what are like what are the limits of the the privacy guarantees that OHTP can afford, and you know those limits are uh, ultimately bounded by what is possible by a traffic analysis. So if you have like you know in the simplest case, if you have like an adversary that sits on either end of the, the proxy in the scenario, sees requests come in, and sees requests go out, and then maybe also sits, you know, behind the t- behind the target and like looks and sees at w- what the target is doing. Do you, do you, do you do you really trust that that adversary is not going to be able to like piece things together and figure out you know what the individual client was doing? Eh, it depends on your threat model, I guess. Um, yeah, right. So exactly. um, we we kind of just as with sort of most protocols i guess more most like you know secure communication protocols in the itf We kind of just punt on traffic analysis for better or worse primarily because it's you know we don't really have good mechanisms for dealing with that in practice and the expectation is that um sort of the cost of doing these things cost of doing these attacks well exceeds you know the 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 potential rewards that you get from it so it might be that you could you know carry out like traffic analysis to like you know de-anonymize like an individual but if 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 you know, everyone else except for this one, you know, uh, poor and unfortunate individual, is 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 safe for some definition of safe. Then, like, maybe that's maybe that's an okay compromise. And um, I should say one other additional thought that and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Tor because the the Tor is like you know it, it, it does a lot of things. It's like you know um, a bunch of traffic analysis mitigations, a bunch of relays to choose from, and a, mm-hmm. a bunch of like different cryptography that it uses for like actually building up these circuits and preventing like tagging attacks and, and stuff like that. OHTTP and Odo are like incredibly slimmed down and simplified versions of Tor in a way. It's like a one hop Tor quote circuit um that is that is that the circuit never changes. It's always like this client to this proxy to this target.
1: Yeah. And the and the and the server and the proxy servers are well known and it's easy to figure out which proxy server you're using. It's not layers of proxies and stuff like that. I think, by the way, that the attacks against Tor are also individual specific. Like, I don't think anybody has, well, not that I know of. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think anybody's actually compromised like the whole Tor network. They may have compromised one exit node or something like that. Right. But, but, you know.
0: And and I want to be clear like, that's still not a good outcome. Like, if if, it's not great that, like, you know, you can, you can, you know, spend some amount of money and violate the privacy of an individual despite like us going to great lengths to like you know put up like technical mechanisms that would make that hard to do so. Um, so I would very much like to you know see Oacp and related technologies um get deployed at a scale wherein those attacks are no longer like feasible. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, like as as with most things here I just don't think we're there yet but yeah. you know we are seeing deployments of it. we're starting to see this sort of technology gain some traction in, in the industry. And I hope it's through that traction and through that, you know, increased deployment that, you know, we're able to sort of combat these traffic analysis attacks. And maybe there's also like interesting research that happens on the side that allows us to maybe extend it in an interesting way or like apply like traffic analysis mitigations on top, sort of like Tor does.
1: Um, Well, an obvious place to work in this area is somewhere on a CDN, right? Because CDNs are always already proxies. And if you can if you can use ODOH or something you know like that, and use the CDN as the proxy, well now you've mixed enough of the traffic together that from the outside, like who knows anything? It's really hard to figure out just because you have so much traffic that you're dealing yeah. with, yeah. and and yet they're very distributed, you know. And so therefore, you kind of had this mix of and, it, and IXPs might be another place that would be interesting again because they're distributed. And you can mix a lot of traffic over an, over an exchange fabric, right so there so there are places where the deployment of these things infrastructure wise might make a lot of sense. I'm just not seeing the i guess not many people know about this, which is like part of the point of doing these because people need to know about this stuff.
0: In general though, it's like a really su- it's a super hard problem to solve. Like uh in yeah. contrast to like, you know, you know, in public key encryption, for example. Like I yeah. can encrypt something to you under your public key and then I can go to sleep at night and, and worry that no one will ever, ever recover that message except for you in the absence of a quantum computer or something.
1: Exactly.
2: Like that. I was about to um, say <laughs>
1: I don't know that recent article about RSA, them fl- you know, saying they can theoretically break an RSA, and I'm like, wait.
0: <laughs> but, uh, but the traffic analysis stuff it's much more, you know, it's much, it's le- much less rigorous in it, in my view. Like, you know, it's a bunch of machine learning stuff thrown at like some encrypted, you know, flows, and and you yeah. know, you just kind of you, you throw stuff to the, at the wall and see what sticks, and you know, um, yeah. It's like it's a it's uncomfortable how like, you know, how uh it's uncomfortable to me how how sort of ill prepared we are to 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 deal with like traffic analysis in practice. Um but I don't Well,
1: it's a hard problem to solve. I know like crypto gear when I was when I was working in this area a little bit, um was like the Stu three, which is an old crypto box and I don't know if the KG did it, but but the Stu three did anyway, it would actually Take and build a constant bitstream traffic using Squitter, like just random crap that it threw into the stream, so that from the outside it was a constant bitstream rate thing that was going between the two two threes, and there was no traffic. You couldn't tell when somebody was transmitting or not. Like if you left it up twenty four by seven, it looked the same. It doesn't matter, but that's not really practical in a stochastic network like a packet switch network like the internet like you can't buy a t1 Mm -hmm. and throw a max rate of t1 across it which is just garbage traffic and say okay well now you can't tell where i'm transmitting or not because that would totally blow the internet to smithereens right i mean we just we we don't have that capacity to do that kind of stuff
0: (laughs) yeah um and I, I, um, yeah, I I I've seen papers like that as well, where you know the the answer is like just always be pumping out noise, and you yeah, know if, yeah, if you yeah. if you can't distinguish noise from real data, then you're fine. But is yeah. that practical?
1: No, yeah. no, <laughs> not in the real world. No,
0: yeah, I mean, um, no. So yeah, I um, you know, I I I'd love to see more work in that space. I'd love to see it applied to you know simple proxy technologies like HTTP. Uh, to see, you know, if we if we can't improve, uh, you know, our posture against the, those sorts of attacks. But for right now, I think, you know, I'm I'm I can still sleep okay at night, uh, knowing that like at least we have like a sound something. design. Yeah, we're wor- and, yeah, and we're some, working on something. Yeah, yeah. So a sound design like something that's built with privacy in mind first, as opposed to bolted on later. Um, that's like built on like established cryptographic concepts and principles that lets us, you know at least at least improve the bar um even even if you know some people claim it's only by a little so yeah yeah well,
1: um, yeah but a little is better than nothing and and that's the key right
0: yes, i mean there I've, there's
1: practical limits to what you can actually do unfortunately or or whatever i mean it always comes back to quick cheap quality state ops, uh, state uh, um optimization services i mean there's always uh, cap theorem, there's always like there's always a triad someplace, and if you find it, you can figure out like what your trade offs are, and then you can like start thinking about uh, really do I want to optimize for that? Seriously, like mm, maybe not, maybe it's just not practical to optimize for that. And I so, like what you
0: said there. there, there's always a cap <laughs> theorem there, like there's always, yeah. there's always like some trade offs to be made.
1: Yeah, there is always, it's just, it's just reality, you know, and and I don't know, in our modern world, we tend, to, we tend to like, oh, I'm going to escape the bounds of reality. Yeah, well, good luck <laughs> with that. <laughs> that's, that's going to work out really well for you. By the way, we'll call you, uh, what's his name, Icarius Yeah, we'll call you Echarius. <laughs> or Sisyphus, one or the other. You're either rolling the stone up the hill that always comes back down on you, or you're always flying too high and your feathers melt and you end up in the drink. So I don't know. <laughs> It's kind of like whatever. <laughs> yeah.
2: So yeah.
1: All right. Well, cool. Well, I don't have any more questions. I don't know, Tom,
2: anything from you? No, this is great. Thanks, Chris. It's yeah, been really fun. That's great. Great, Chris. Yeah, my
0: my pleasure. Thank you for, you know, uh giving me the opportunity to like talk about this stuff and, and hopefully yeah, get, well, you know, get more people aware of it. And, you know, I think that's the key, it.
1: man. If we can get yeah. more people aware of it and get people in the enterprise side and out in the networking world going, Oh, this is important. You know, let's, that's yeah. Let's get people involved. Let's get people deploying this and figuring out like, you know, how to deploy it or asking for the services, at least, you know, from there yeah. and saying, you know, I'm an enterprise guy and I, I really want this service to happen or, you know, I work at a vendor and I really think we should be supporting this, you know, whatever the case is. We need to get people out there to doing this stuff. So um, so
2: I'll ask Tom first, where can people follow, find you, Tom? I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter to search for Tom Ammon. Okay.
1: And Chris, so if people want to follow ODOH specifically and OHTTPS, I mean, there's the working groups, right? So which working groups are those right now?
0: Um, so the OHI. Ojai- <laughs> Working Group is where (laughs) OHGDP is being uh, specified and sort of extensions and and related work to OHGDP is being developed. ODO was published in the independent stream, so it wasn't developed uh, in any specific working group. But, you know, OHI and DPRI, the DNS Privacy Working Group, these are generally places where topics that are similar to ODO come up and are discussed.
1: Okay. And you personally, do you have a blog Podcast, anything LinkedIn?
0: Uh, I do not. I, I mean I have on LinkedIn. Um I, I guess out of necessity. Um, and, but I'm and I'm sort of sort of social media averse. So I don't really have a social media presence. I, I use yeah. it to like consume interesting things, but never to like put stuff out. So I'll spare the people, you know, my my hidden handle. Um, <laughs> so uh, but I, no, uh, that's I don't cool. know.
1: That's good. I'm I'm actually pretty social media averse as much as I can be. I mean, it's hard to be an author. And be social media averse, right? It's hard to run a podcast and be completely social media averse. But as always, I do, I mean, I did my dissertation on the impact of social media on the culture. And so I'm very aware of, I'm very aware (laughs) of, of the problems inherent here, you know, and I have my own set of personal rules around ways that I do. My kids used to get so sick of me we would be in some, you know, theme park or something. And I'd be like, I want to send this picture to my friends of this. And I'm like, no. <laughs>
0: um, I will say, although I'm social media averse, I'm always happy to talk about things over email. Um, if you're ever in New York City, I uh, can grab coffee or go for a run or do whatever. Um, All right. I, I'm always open cool. to that stuff.
1: Awesome. Great. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks, Chris, for coming on. And um, thanks everybody who listened to this episode of The Hedge. And uh, catch us next time as we talk about, we're going to be talking about mask with with Chris very soon in the, in a couple of weeks here. So there'll be an episode published pretty soon after this one on ODOH. So anyway, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Subscribe to The Hedge on your favorite podcast service or follow along at rule11.tech.